You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Adam Zaretsky. Adam, thanks so much for being with me today. Sure, Brainerd. It's good to be here. Adam, you're in Greece now. I'd, I'd love to talk about your work, but I just want to start by asking how things are in Greece. It seems that several people I know are in Greece right now. I don't know if it's a popular destination. It certainly sounds uh, like paradise to me. Uh, but what's what's happening in Greece now in terms of um, your work and, and, and why you're there? Well, it's a, kind of a weird mix, but uh, I'm having a sort of um, personal pandemic uh, curveball uh, life situation where I've become bi-coastal, but not New York, California, but sort of uh, New York, Corfu, and I'm in the Mediterranean uh, for a considerable part of my living days right now, and it's a it's kind of interesting. Um, I jumped ship from what was uh, not the best academic job, and kind of decided to be a full time artist. Um, that doesn't mean I won't be doing academic things. Like I've been doing a lot of writing, I've been doing a lot of uh, labs and things like that. But I um, I'm focusing a little harder on uh, what I think my life work should be. I guess the fear of death sometimes puts you into, I don't know, I'm not in fourth gear. Actually, here in Greece, I'm in, I don't know, third gear. Kind of revving, though. It's exciting. I am actively pursuing my own dreams. Ooh, and let's talk about that. those dreams. So, 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 so what's, what's happening? What are you pursuing? What are you working on? Well, um, my focus uh, for the past 20-some-odd years has been, in one way or another, um, to show and tell and share, uh, sort of a do-it-with-others, D-I-W-O, bioart, bent on explaining the process of how to make transgenic humans or how to make genetically modified babies. So this is sort of this gentle mix between um, new reproductive technology as an art form and uh, genetic engineering, or these days the the catchphrase is CRISPR babies. So let's talk about CRISPR babies and and how that's uh, (laughs) moving along now. You know, that's a a field that uh, seems you know, that it's obviously growing and that's, uh, that we're all beginning to learn about, although I know very little, but what I do know is it seems at once um, very helpful to, to uh, perhaps modify uh, a fetus so that it's not, um, doesn't have a, a kind of illness or that it would normally have, but also it seems to get into the, I don't know if it's dangerous territory or not, of kind of upgrading humans um, into, into yeah. something smarter, stronger, better, unlike the rest of us. So, uh, uh, yeah, can you tell me how, you how know you're I, working? Yeah. <laughs> sure. I have a really different take. I kind of, in, I, I don't mind the prevention of birth defects. I don't mind human trials that are experimental to cure diseases, even with human subjects that are, especially ones that are well-informed and know that they might just be helping I appreciate that, but I don't think that the project is about curing birth defects, uh, especially in the yet-to-be-born. Um, I think a lot of the project is not about curing 
infertility either. I think it's about what you're talking about, like getting the your chops done in the hospital, but taking it from bench to bedside and to uh, sort of commercialism uh, and those upgrades that you're talking about. And so I, I have this feeling when it comes to the making of transgenic children that it's a uh, half marketing ploy, half sort of like a industrial military entertainment complex. And that's all normal. We're sort of used to that um, at this point in time, but I generally think that there should be other alternatives. Um, if we are going to engineer our species, I would hope that it would have um, more than a military industrial entertainment value to it. I would hope that it would have finer aesthetics. So I'm coming at it from a sort of art historical or art criticism standpoint about just who we're supposed to be and who we're supposed to become. So I, I recently, not too recently, but yeah, fairly recently, a few months ago, uh, at the end of summer, I went to Zurich. I went to Hacteria. Um, Mark from Hacteria invited me and a few other people to um, collaborate on something that we call the GAP. Um, T-H-G-A-P, the GAP, is the Transgenic Human Genomes Alternative Project. And this is about making alternative genome inserts for transgenic humans and making them publicly open source, uh, you know, like uh, sort of crowdsourcing minds uh, to come up with CGCB, which is Creative Germline Constructs Bank. It's a, it's a database, like a Creative Germline Constructs Bank is a database of alternative human genome inserts. And these would be like sequences of genes that people have found that they would prefer to have their children or other people's children offered. Uh, and in, it sounds crazy. It is kind of crazy. We've been, we had fun. We worked with uh, Christian Delgado down in Mexico and came up with something we call the Goshva, which is a generic open source plasmid for human arts. And that's like a plasmid would be like a circular DNA form that would deliver a CRISPR package with some sort of vector into the human germline. And there are various ways to do that. Oh, okay, so wait, wait, let me, let me, let me, let me just yeah. back up. And, and I'd, I'd like you to explain that, to the, the CRISPR package yeah. and everything, because I'm sure most of the <laughs> listeners aren't even understand what, 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 what CRISPR means or what is that. So in, in, in layman's terms, what does that mean for the parent that's uh, thinking of having a child or is about to have a child? How would this, how would this actually work practically? Generally, my thing is that your child would be weaker through genetic engineering, you would be probably introducing some sort of um, mutation that is completely out of control. Like CRISPR is not that well targeted. It does all sorts of chromosomal breaks. But I guess to start it off, I would say this. There are more and more seemingly well-targeted genetic tools that people are using to land genes into the human genome in what they call is a safe harbor. A safe harbor would be a place in your genome or in your children's genome that is unnecessary and could have something else land in it and it wouldn't disrupt uh, the life form. So old-fashioned genetic engineering could cause cancer. 
this newfangled CRISPR genetic engineering can also cure it can cure cancer. It can also cause cancer. It's a it's a not completely accurate the way people are sort of talking about it in the news, but um, it's a new way of introducing genes into the genome using um, uh, these. Uh, they call them palindromic re repeats, which are kind of like things that read forward and backwards and forward and backwards the same and make kind of nice folded twists. And uh, It's complicated. It comes from some sort of bacterial antiviral immune system, and we're just leapfrogging on it and using it as a way to um, insert genes more accurately because they can find a portion of the genome that is um, specific as opposed to just landing anywhere waywardly. This is sort of not the point. Um, it's not about just understanding exactly the science. What's important is that we have a palette to choose from, um, and the palette is based not on superhumans, but strangely on poetry. In other words, if I take a bunch of volunteers that want to join my lab and ask them to jump into some sort of bioinformatics database, the first thing that happens is they go, oh, this is huge and weird, and I don't understand, and it's beyond me. And the idea of a sort of do-it-yourself bioart course or a do-it-yourself bioart, you know, get-together is to get over that, to find refuge in the complexity, to actually appreciate the complexity for what it is, which is life. Life itself, anatomy itself is super complex, and already some kind of mad lib, some kind of free associative strange collage. We have, like, if you look at yourself and you look at a spider and you notice a spider has elbows, you know, that's awkward. It's really awkward because they have, you know, eight legs. But we have elbows too, and so do pigs. Pigs have elbows. And so there's this feeling almost body horror at looking at interspecies similarities um, and differences and those thinking about those as as part of a free associative collage or jazz human leads you down this ooh it's a slippery slope into like humans can be almost any shape form metabolism um, collage collage of gross anatomy collage of metabolic activity, we can produce all sort of, sorts of uh, secondary metabolites. There's all sorts of things that can happen, but it demolishes any concept of the actual. And that is what art is. I mean, that is like sort of the essence of art is dissolution of reality. Uh, so, you know, and turning people into the post-real <laughs> it's it's sort of fun for me, but I'm I'm sort of looking at it and and saying like, how can I help people understand that this is this is a strange project that's not really based on how do we do the science, but is based on how is it that our ideas are being translated um, so acutely that they can be put into a sperm or an egg or a zygote or a blastula or a human embryonic stem cell. How is it that we are able to translate our ideation, which is 
seemingly reduced to just curing birth defects or making super soldiers or something simple like that and not realize that this is actually an art gateway into the genome. It's a it's an obscure ethical conundrum. It's science fiction, except for it's not in the future. It's now, and it's it's not even being critiqued by artists or art historians or art critics. You know, I mean, these the these twins that were born in China, Lulu and Nana, and their little unnamed sister or brother P three. Um, these beings, they're human, they're transgenic, but no one's done a real art review about them. Until now, I sort of, I sort of, um, I put out a bunch of essays over the summer in Paris that are uh, half translated into French, like two out of three or three out of five of them are translated into French and the other two are coming. But they're, they're a, a lot of them are about this sort of idea of, what is the aesthetic critique of the transgenic humans that are coming out, like sort of coming down the line publicly? It's just fascinating. To some degree, it is, it's, what's fascinating, it is a little mind-bending and hard to wrap around. I mean, especially with terms like the post-real. Um, and I don't know about those transgenic children in in China, um, perhaps we could we could talk about them a little bit. Uh, you mentioned aesthetics earlier. Were were and, and, and as you talk about reviewing, that's what seems fascinating to me. Is is that about when you talk about reviewing these situations or, or reviewing uh, what's happening with these transgenic children in uh, in China? Um, what would well, you like to see? What, what does aesthetics mean there? Well, what would a review mean there? Uh, how well this is working, uh, what are these children like, or whether this is, uh, I mean, there's ethics and all of that, but that's thats a—that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about... Uh, there is bioethics involved. Let's face it. Yes, there is. I mean, some of this is what I'm pointing at also. Okay, so there's, there's going to be a couple of links um, for this radio show. One of them is um, a link to Hacteria, hacteria.org, and it's a project called Mind the Gap, or mind the transgenic human genome alternatives project and in there you can see that we've come up with this sort of way of bringing people in and knowing enough to find their own gene and to sort of do a review of it and the review you're talking about is do a do a bioethics review do a bio art critic criticism review do a sci-fi review whatever um but the deeper theory that i was working on all summer i ended up like publishing on makery.info and uh, I'll drop a link on there to five it's five articles with videos and stills it was quite a sort of like sort of like a book um, that I came out with uh, um, working with Erin and it was just a it's in there it sort of talks about the difference between transgenic animals and transgenic humans but it also problematizes. For instance, a lot of the transgenic animals have really kitsch stage names. Um, they're kind of punk and they're kind of generic, like Onco Mouse, but also Brainbow Mouse or Glowfish, the Aqua Bounty Salmon, Herman the Bull, right? Schwarzenegger Sheep. And then the twins that were born in China were given false names to protect them from, you know, too much publicity of Lulu and Nana, 
which is almost like Hello Kitty. Um, and in some ways, I don't know, I'm sort of, I'm looking at, um, I'm looking at them as the sculpture and not, not the artists, you know, like sort of like this pop art extravaganza, this sort of crossover into humans as art, which is, it is bioethically strange. Um, but, uh, I don't know. The real question is sort of like, who do we decide who's worth engineering, right? What conceptual pathway should we, should we work on? And if we're engineering our species, we're actually engineering the future of ecology. But, you know, if our cultural aesthetics are lame, then we're going to end up with like a sort of medicalized, scientistized, rational version of the transhuman, right? So I'm kind of, I am a little worried, and that's why I'm, I'm sort of forming a biotech company. I'm forming a psychic fertility clinic. I'm forming some kind of bioethical advisory commission because I, I feel like there's, there's a hole in the future of the human that's just, you know, it's like, uh, it's like without the humanities, we're going to be really dull and kind of like square and retro and sort of gray. I'm pretty worried about the future of human looks. I want to make sure that we're not ironed out, not just a, we're not, our, our genome is not just a hard drive to defragment. You know, our genome, if we're going to add to it, we have to think of op art. We have to think of, you know, like, uh, well, there's all different kinds of art that have, not been added to the human genome yet. You know, what would be total abstraction, right? Like abstract expressionism or what would, uh, who would Jeff Koons' baby be? You know, this sort of thing. So, um, I don't know. Uh, I think that transgenic human arts reviews are important. That's all I'm saying. Um, and I think so too. And in, in imagining what Jeff Koons' baby would be, or I don't know, the artist Orlan in in France, you know, uh, a, a lot of things could uh, you could imagine all kinds oh. of things. Uh, you know, um, I had a thing with Orlan. I asked her. I said, "Hey, instead of all this plastic surgery, if you could just take a pill, or have an injectable vaccine to change your anatomy, instead." instead of the knife, instead of plastic surgery, would you do that? And she said, absolutely. I would much rather just have, you know, gene therapy and grow bigger temples or a wider nose or something like that. You know, so she, she's ready. But that would, that's somatic. If we're asking which babies they would have, you know, it's a, it ends up being something where you're impressing, you know, in your own sort of like uh, multiple originals, you're impressing your aesthetic on someone who has yet to even develop, like, you know, form sort of limb buds and stuff like that. But, yeah. Right, um, as opposed to doing it to yourself. In the, in the, in the, in the example you gave of Orlan having gene therapy and, uh, or, or, or some manner of that and, and changing her, her features, her, the way yeah, she that looks. would be that, what they call the somatic gene therapy, right? Somatic would be like your soma, your body. But germline gene therapy is where not only do you have someone who's born with the, the sort of style, not of their choosing, but their children and their children after that, their grandchildren, that 
those traits may be passed down multiple generations. Now, from an artistic standpoint, this is this is better than the Gutenberg Bible. This is this is the printing press of the future because you know artists are total narcissists, but they certainly like to have you know art that uh, how do you say reproduces itself um, because that's right. you can make leave the legacy. You know. They like to leave a legacy. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, big legacy, big whatever. Anyway, so there's there's a few things I've been thinking about. Um, and I'm working towards, and that would be maybe for artists to set up a sort of biotech company where only artists are allowed to really work there. Um, like not just a DIY lab, but actually I'm not going to companies and corporations and profits. I wish I was. But, you know, to form an artist's egg bank or to form an artist's sperm bank or an artist's embryo bank um, and take donations well, you know how it goes. When you're donating sperm, it's like even though you're not allowed to sell your sperm, you get like $30, $20 each time you donate your sperm. But um, eggs are a little more expensive to donate. <laughs> I mean, the payment, you get a little more payment for your donation. And embryos, there are waste embryos, you know, that are used for medical research. Um, but I don't know if art and biology or bioart is medical research. It might just be pure research, like curiosity-based research, or um, what do they call it? Just, I don't know, free research. Um, but we're looking into, you know, like maybe is there such a thing as crowdsourcing surrogacy from, from mutant experimental art babies? Um, it, and then how are all these kids going to be raised? If I want to make, you know, a few thousand experimental kids, I'm going to need a really big rooming house, you know, some kind of behavioral nursery <laughs> or something like that. So I'm, I'm looking into starting with this, this sort of an open source bioinformatics germline database um, to make, you know, extra inserts for mutants that, that no military outfit around the world would want infants that have inserts that are not just helping to stop birth defects, but are not just about the singularity and, you know, like this sort of like MIT church of um, perfectibility and immortality, uh, but are actually about other things that the arts can offer, which have to do with, so, um, you know, philosophy, et cetera. <laughs> so let's talk about that. So let's talk about that. What the arts has to offer, which is one to, uh, aesthetics, uh, what philosophy has to offer, what would that mean? What are some of the possibilities there? Um, if if there was a, a consensus, and if the consensus was something like what you're thinking, um, what would that mean? How how would we how would we decide to make a transgenic child based on on those aesthetics? As you're saying, what art what art brings philosophy? About, if you're thinking of say like a an artistic palette, like uh, different colors. Uh, you you have everything in the life world, every trait in the life world, from like some sort of protein in the retina of the eye of an eagle to um, some sort of byproduct that can be exuded from your nipples that might help pay the rent. Um, from an art historical standpoint, though, you know, we have things like Rococo, like, what would it be to use some sort of biolistic device to introduce uh, 
uber rococo into someone's you know testicles or some human embryonic well, cells. Well, what does that mean, uber rococo into somebody's testicles? <laughs> what, what, what does that mean? I don't mean? know. I mean, you know, like you haven't you seen these beautiful paintings of extremely svelte people, like beyond what is humanly possible, like a real a real supple roundness, a real uh, you know jarringly adorable super cupid. Um, I, I'm going to keep it open. What what is a uh, Op art, you know, if you're micro-injecting op art CRISPR constructs into an egg with a single sperm that you've taken the tail off of and you just kind of inject that sperm into the egg and with it comes op art, is that person going to be born with some sort of um, moray pattern all over them, you know, some sort of uh, uh, perceptual conundrum? Um, what does it mean? Is, I, I don't know itself. I mean... Obviously, right now, we have a lot of kitsch, art brute, being introduced into the human genome. There are no artists involved in what gets stuck in there. The art itself is that the scientists are making humans into sculptures. So at this point in time, it's completely naive. It, it, literally, we could have an outsider art show of transgenic humans made by non-artists, all scientists and bureaucrats are designing the future of human species. It is, it's so lame that it might be collectible, if you understand what I mean. Like, these are <laughs> untrained well, artists. They well, never really went to art school. They, do. they haven't taken a right, course in art history. Well, <sighs> what would a show of transgenic children mean? You mean actually photographs of the children, like the two in China, explaining what's happening, or, or, or the children are there as well? Um, well, is, is that what you mean? The art is the child. It gets kind of confusing. Um, it's a long-term, multi-generational project. So that means that it's, it's time-based, it's new media, it's bio-art because it's living, and it's actually it's sort of conceptual, time-based, new media, bio-art. Um, and this means that the beings themselves are the art. So their traces, um, their lives are actually, you know, permanently sort of imprinted with somebody's aesthetics. And so I guess what you're asking, though, is um, what is the emotional toll of being engineered for someone else's devices, right? And this is sort of what I'm trying to get at, um, I can talk all day about um, which kinds of plasmids we could offer from, you know, the, the creative germline constructs bank. But really, you know, the parents signed over the kids in China to be monitored for 18-plus years, if not their entire life. And I'm not so sure they're not part of a larger project where they're going to be inbred with P3, their, their um, transgenic brother and, and, and sort what, of like, what's modified by that by the by these kids what's uh i mean well that's an interesting question what they sort of said was they were not curing birth defects but they were going to try to insert a gene that would make the kids more resistant to aids and this is a an allele um that's found in people naturally um and they tend to have some resistance to aids if they're sort of double recessive so um they tried their best to introduce 
this gene into these children, and at the same time, there was sort of some, some revelation that these genes themselves can cause other problems. I mean, this is the problem of multifactorialism, or the problem of that one gene doesn't just make one protein, or one gene doesn't just do one thing. And so this sort of mechanization theory without, without a lot of, you know, understanding of the chaos of metabolism is it's, it's, a, it's far from um, transparent. But what I'm looking at is that they, they also snuck it in there because it could possibly enhance, um, what would I say, analytical thought or, uh, you know, uh, a type of with, intelligence. A type of intelligence. Now, I looked into it, and this intelligence itself may be a form of neurosis because I think, I think that um, people that have this sort of double recessive gene that may help prevent, uh, you know, infection by the AIDS virus are also analytical in a way that is super neurotic and kind of leads to some sort of borscht belt really bad comedy, you know, so we may be actually, we may have turned some, some Chinese sort of Mengele like uh, twin study. We may have turned these kids into Rodney Dangerfield. I'm a little bit worried. You know what I mean? Um, so they're otherwise know, normal looking, kids. They're, 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 I mean, they're, they're, but they're not being raised by their parents. That I'm not sure. Nobody's sure. Their parents, um, also have fake names. Um, the doctor that helped bring them about um, is about to get out of jail. Uh, the kids will turn three, and he had a three-year sentence for what he did. Uh, but he was pumped up and prodded uh, by people from England, people from China, people from uh, the U.S., and they sort of told him to go for it and that, you know, they'd even if he went to jail, they'd get him the Nobel Prize within a decade, that kind of thing. There were a lot of people that were um, working um, behind the scenes to help him, and basically they sort of outsourced to China because they figured they don't mind being first in exchange for, you know, being called morally representable on some sort of Western stage. And it, it, it's, it's confusing. I wrote it all up in one of my essays on makery.info, which is called Human germline gene editing is bioart, an open letter to Lulu and Nana. And it's a letter to them. You know, I mean, I'm trying to impress upon them that they were made in a kind of space race um, and that it's up to them what to do uh, with themselves. Like, for instance, don't let anyone force you to have kids with anyone else, but instead... Choose your own partner because there's going to be a vying for you in a kind of carny way and also some sort of breeding program that's going to try to preserve you down the generational lines and basically don't get owned. But besides that, there's a lot of things that I wrote to them. And one of them was, I think you should become bioartists. I think that if maybe similar to my, my sort of um, stance, which is like if it's going to happen anyway, there has to be people offering alternatives, right? There has to be people that know how to do it themselves without um, interference. So a sort of do-it-yourself in vitro fertilization uh, or do-it-yourself uh, transgenic human uh, germline alteration. And besides showing how to do it in public, I'm actually calling on Lulu and Nana and saying, hey, 
maybe you want to design your own babies uh, because you come at it from a different perspective. They might be neo right. No, that, right? that that makes a lot of sense to me. So, 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 to me, what's what's very interesting about that about your your thought there is that if if in making transgenic children, I mean, one of the things is is to make them, you know, uh, you know, somehow increase their intelligence, for lack of a better word, um, it it may is is the future those children determining what the future is, you know. You and I, uh, me more than myself, more than yourself, uh, you know, are trying to wrap our heads around this and, and what's the best way forward, what's the best thing for the, for the, for the you know, ecosystem of the, of the, of the planet, of, of, of the future. Um, but, but in a way, we're coming at this with, with limited capacity, right, where our intelligence is what it is and, and, and we have this kind of backlog of, of what we think uh, or this background of what we think, you know, life is or should be, what is real. Uh, but you know we're also making decisions for for other people, and and just as you're giving those to agency in this in this open letter, that seems to point towards um, you know the the notion of we shouldn't be making these decisions. People who are transgenic should be making decisions about themselves, and and in fact they should be determining perhaps the aesthetics of what's of what's coming because um, they would, they would perhaps know more than anybody. I mean, the, the idea of kind of yeah. expanded yeah. capabilities of thinking seems like, you know, these decisions maybe shouldn't be left with mere uh, mortals like ourselves who are, you know, in the age of what, well, I don't know what you call it before the post real, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I sort of, also, in this letter, I included a, a shout-out to um, not just Lulu and Nana and P3, the sort of uh, unnamed child, uh, not just them or their parents, but also what I call the techno-parents. And this has to do with um, who helped make these babies. And I'm talking about gave advice, hid from the press that it was happening, um, helped it coincide with the Human Genome Editing Initiative's meeting in Hong Kong. The kids were born like three days before the meeting. Um, and this includes a lot of people from the U.S., like uh, um, Michael Deem, uh, Bill Ekovich, uh, Stephen Quake, Craig Mello, Matthew Porteous, uh, people at Rice University, people at Stanford University, even... Um, William Hurlbut, Bill Hurlbut, and his son Bedden. Hurlbut had a nice retort. And then Ryan Farrell, who was making the videos. It was not that these people didn't have some misgivings, you know, but right down to David Baltimore and the Human Gene Editing Initiative and Altachero, all these different bioethicists and sort of legal people and scientists, people from MIT, like George Church, and also like a lot of, different hospitals and things like that, like the, the Shenzhen Harmonicare Women's and Children's Hospital Ethics Review Board got involved. And Stephen Quake was right there, you know, helping the sort of ensure in, informed consent. This sort of thing has a lot of multiple national governments, international investors, you know, different universities, different um, uh, hospitals. And... I'm sort of looking at it, and I made a cry, like a, a shout-out to them, right? The, 
private hospitals. And I said, hey, you're all the parents too. You know, it's not just the mother and father who donated their sperm and their eggs and their womb and, you know, like, it's not just these babies born from them, but it's, it's also the technicians that injected the CRISPR construct into the egg with the sperm. And it's also the people um, who helped forge a debate that allowed for um, a feeling of laissez-faire cowboy capitalism and go ahead, you know, you might as well, or sort of like there's nothing really wrong with it. That, that was sort of the human genome editing initiative's basic message. And so um, I think holding both the admin people or what would you call it, the bureaucratic people and the technicians and the institutions that helped forge the children um, accountable, not as sort of like, oh, a bioethical guilt trip, but actually as partial parents, like techno parents of these children. Um, I think it's important. So I, I sort of put the word out to them, if you know what I mean. I do, as, as much as I can, I do. It, it, it's fascinating talking to you about this. I think we'll have to have a, a second conversation. I, I want to ask you also what you're, what you're reading at the moment, what's, what's on your nightstand or wherever you keep your books. You know, the weirdest thing I've been reading lately, <laughs> this sounds strange, but it's, it's something called Blast. Uh, it's, it's an online bioinformatics sort of publicly accessible uh, program, like a it's a bioinformatics database. And what I've been trying to do is help people understand that it's accessible and how weird it is to find a gene in a bat or in a sea bass in the brain of a bat or in the bone marrow of a sea bass. And this gene that does some small thing, and there's only maybe like one to 12 scientists who even know about this gene. Um, and they're not sure exactly what it does either. And that you can look up sort of the cartoons and follow up and try to learn about these genes. It's one in a billion, and it's, they're all online. You can find one gene out of a billion genes online and kind of follow up on it like a detective. And I'm kind of getting into it. I think of working with some bioinformatics people. I'm trying to form a database, which I have no idea. I, I started a database, and I'm like, not sure how they work because right now my database is me and I have to coordinate it. So not very automated at all. But um, so I'm kind of, I'm on um, GenBank. That's it. So I'm on GenBank checking out different genes. And then I'm like looking up the sequences of the genes, but I'm also looking up all the way to like back to Google images. <laughs> I'm looking up like what is the pineal gland of a Malaysian bass uh, metabolic function called GBLT7. You know, I'm kind of just doing minor detective work. That sounds exciting and, uh, and fascinating, and I imagine all those listening will need to do much more reading to get involved further, which, uh, which I appreciate you sharing as well as the, the link that will be here in this, in this interview. Uh, thank you so much for talking with me today. It's it's really fascinating uh, hearing what you're working on, Adam, and I uh, hope to speak with you again. Thank you. Oh, no doubt. It's, it's absolutely a pleasure. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.